Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. As I've been kind of pondering on our Bible studies on Wednesday nights, um, it's been interesting to try to also put together Sunday morning, to seek God's guidance, to ask Him in no uncertain terms, what do you want me to preach on? And I believe that I've been led to the book of Ephesians for a short series that will probably, if, if, I'm, if I'm thinking right, will be here with us until we start preparing our hearts for Easter and the coming of Lent. The book of Ephesians, if, if Romans is Paul's definitive statement on Christian doctrine, Ephesians is the letter about what we call ecclesiology, the study of the church and her mission. What the church is, what its expectations are, what its position is before Christ. We talked last week about the church being a place for imperfect people, about it being a, for lack of a better term, a hospital for the soul and how nobody who comes within her walls is ever perfect or ever should view themselves as such. There's only one perfect person in the church, and He happens to be her Lord. The rest of us are all on that same journey trying to be conformed to His image. We are co-laborers and we're co-students. We are people who are desiring a place as a family to grow and to grow in our relationship. The Bible tells us to grow in grace and in knowledge, grace and wisdom of Christ. Now, how do we grow spiritually? What does that look like? Paul actually tells us a little bit about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Effectively, he's asking us to put the miracle that is our transformed life on display before others. You, in your regenerate state, have been taken out of something made new and put in a place. You're a living miracle of God. Do you know that? If you are in Christ, you're, new crea you're a new creation. That is nothing short of a miracle. Your very nature has changed. Your cognitive uh, patterns that were bent on sin and the self have been transformed, renewed, regenerated because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You are not... If you, if you did approach the altar in good faith, dedicate yourself to the Lordship of Christ, confess yourself a sinner, and are trusting in Him for salvation, pleading His blood, then you stood up from that altar a different person than the one that you were before you bowed down. Amen? That's a miracle. And Paul is in this passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Go ahead and open your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4. He is commanding us to put that miracle on display. The church, as, as I've preached on before, has four essential ministries that we've all been called to do together. Four different ways, if you will, 
that we can have an impact, that we can put that giftedness and that uniqueness that God has invested us with on display. There is our ministry to God through worship, our ministry to the fellow believers through what we call discipleship. Fellowship can be added to that as effectively the same thing, although we think of it, one is hard study, the other one is as uh, spending time in doing anything but studying together. But in truth, iron sharpens iron. We see a lot of that downstairs in Sunday school. We have our ministry to the suffering through missions, and we have our ministry to the lost through evangelism. Coincidentally, that's the same way that we grow together as Christians. Matthew puts, uh, excuse me, Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, he writes down the voice of Jesus, giving us a basic mission statement through which the entire church has to abide in order to be relevant to both the kingdom and the world in which it exists. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, everywhere, no exceptions. Just as you had been in a fallen state once and were rescued out of it, so must they. Make disciples, students of all nations, co-laborers together, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What's the next step? Teaching them. We had a bad habit in the Baptist faith of caring so much about numbers, both on the balance sheet and on the roster, that we just gave you the right holy handshake and said, welcome aboard, good luck without actually engaging in discipleship. That took a period of about 40 years, and then we wonder why the, the, the culture in which we live became the way it did. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of the things I commanded you, a few of the things I commanded you that fit well within our culture. Teaching them to observe what? Everything I have commanded you. And remember this, as the promise attached to the commandment, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, the end of the age, the end of all things when we are made new again before a holy God. Up until the time, the world may crack apart. The sky itself may fall. The stars may be lifted out of their orbits. But God's word will never fail. And His presence will never leave the side of His children. That's His promise to you as His church. Go make disciples, evangelize, teach, meaning discipleship and fellowship. Work. Put the things that I've commanded you, that I've taught you to do into practice. And lo, I am with you always, without exception. So how do we grow spiritually? We grow spiritually by spending time with God. We call that our devotional, our quiet time. The time that I've asked you to spend in God's Word and in prayer every day. We spend time in the Holy Bible, otherwise known as study. We listen to the voice of God as penned by His people. We spend time with His family, known as the church, in fellowship. And we spend time together in the field through service. So there are two stages to growing spiritually. The first one is by following the pathway, by working together and by learning together. And the second is by taking ownership of the ministries of the local church. 
ministering in the pathway. So first, we love God in worship. We show up in, in, in places like this and we celebrate God and everything that He's done for us. And incidentally, the sermon isn't the end-all do-all of, of, of discipleship. We have classes. We have studies that we do together. We have small group fellowships, one of which meets downstairs and caffeinates highly every Sunday morning. It's a great time. Please show up. But we go from the morning worship hour, which is a kindergarten Christian, and we go into honest discipleship where we get the Word of God into our minds and into our hearts. And then we love others by putting that which we have learned on display, putting the regenerate nature that we now have on display in being the source of mercy to a world that doesn't understand mercy. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, developing relationship with our neighbors who really need a sense of hope. And then finally spreading the gospel. Yes, we help them out, but we don't shy away from telling them, incidentally, Christ loves you and He wants to have a relationship with you. That's how we grow initially. Worshiping together, engaging in discipleship together, working together for the sake of our community, putting Christ's love on display, and then not being afraid to let people know who Christ is in evangelism. So stage one is that we actually do these things. Stage two is that we understand our calling. We get together with some of the deacons or the teachers or the, the elders of the faith here, and we work out our calling and we find a place in the ministry. We take ownership of that place in the ministry, and we do... We, we who are disciples become disciple makers. There should be no such thing as a kindergarten Christian that stays there for more than a couple of years. There should be no such thing as a pupitator, someone who just sits idly by year after year, decade after decade, and does absolutely nothing for the family of God. The Baptist faith claims a priesthood of all believers which says that there should be 100% participation in the leadership, in the ministries, and in the mission of the local church at all times. That's who we are. From the first day that John Smith broke away from the Puritan faith, it was understood that you are not just a passerby in the local church, that you are a minister of it. So as we delve into God's Word together, I want you to consider these questions. Get your notes out. As we go into God's Word together, what characteristics define spiritual maturity? What is our goal? The first thing you start out with any class or any degree program is you get your syllabus. What am I supposed to be learning? What characteristics define spiritual maturity? Secondly, what personal opportunities are available? What can I do at home? What amount of time can I carve out to be a personal, intimate appointment with God? Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have that capability. Paul tells us that now through Christ, we can go boldly before the throne of grace to make our petitions known that we may receive mercy in our hour of need. Anytime you want to, you can go to God. And He commands that we do that regularly. So what personal opportunities are available for us to develop that relationship with God, to exercise it? And then what opportunities are available here at church? We have our Sunday school downstairs, 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. We have our Sunday night look at the foundations of the faith. 
every uh, Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Wednesdays, we journey through the Bible together where we take a deep dive into God's Word and the culture and the history that surrounds it. There are multiple opportunities to engage yourself also in the ministry. We have the snack bag ministry. We have AB men. We have AB women. There are all kinds of things that we can do to find excuses to get together and do the work. Am I making my spiritual growth a priority? That's the big question. Downstairs in Sunday school, we took a look at Luke, where Christ challenged us to not hoard for ourselves treasures on earth, but invest them where? In heaven. How much of ourselves? It's three years ago, I spent a whole sermon series trying to tell you that you're not all on the same playing field when you come before a holy God. There are heavenly rewards. Are you actively earning them? Are you engaging in your relationship with God? Are you growing? Are you making that a priority in your life? Or are you hoarding up things that won't matter in the end? Or are you doing the smart thing and setting aside for yourselves treasures in heaven? Is your spiritual growth, is your spiritual health, and is your family's spiritual health a priority in your life? Lastly, where do I stand? I talk about first, second chair Christians or kindergarten, first grade, second grade Christians. Where am I personally? These are the questions I want you to consider as we delve into God's Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to underline, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Put the miracle of your salvation on display. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in what? Not just any love. The agape, self-sacrificial, godly love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Instructions for every local church. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called with one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But each of us, to each of us, Grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That's why it says when He ascended high, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people. What does ascend mean except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions, meaning He who was the Prince of this universe, He who was the Creator of everything that exists, became a servant, became a man, became a, in effect a refugee in His own kingdom, became a peasant boy, he descended. He who has descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Did you know that everyone who's ever made a positive difference in your life is a gift of God? Did you treat them as such? Christ Himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip His people for the works of service. 
Notice he didn't say that you can just sit idly by and get your Jesus fixed once a week. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge. Underline that word, knowledge. You are expected to grow. You are commanded to. Of the Son of God and become mature. Attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many of you knew that that becoming a disciple, becoming a student worker in the church was actually a commandment of God? If you didn't know that, underline that and highlight that in your Bible right now. Ephesians 11 through 13. If you ever have any doubt about it, it's right there in the black and white of God's Word. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. This is where he talks about what the immature Christian looks like. We will no longer be like infants tossed back and forth by waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You ever watch a pastor on church and wonder how in the world that person became a pastor? They're tickling ears. They're not growing souls. Be cautious of people that preach what other people want to hear. It's what people need to hear that's vital. If you're not challenged, you're not in a real church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him the whole body joined the head, excuse me, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. That's the hallmark of a mature Christian. The perfection of agape love. Not all love is love. Remember that. The Bible itself in its Greek text identifies 12 different things that are all in our society kind of lumped together in that one word. But it's talking about the ability to sacrifice the self for the good of others. Agapeo. That's the love he's talking about. Growing in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. By Gentiles, he's referring to those without a knowledge of Christ, without a knowledge of God. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity that they are full of greed. In other words, they have no form of self-control because they have grown so accustomed to sin that their hearts have become hardened, the society that they live in have become their God instead, and they do not challenge that because they don't know any better. They have been tolerant of that which will spiritually kill them. They have eaten so much plastic spiritually that they don't have any room in their stomach for real food, real spiritual nourishment. They are starving to death thinking that they are full. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made what? To be made what? New. 
to the attitude in the attitude of your mind. Be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed. You are to be different. You're not supposed to be the way that they are. You're supposed to be a changed individual, learning and growing here and taking that and putting it on display out there so that the light that you shine before others, they will see, they will be attracted to, and the Lamb's Book of Life will be charged with more names. Because when you put it on display, others pay attention. When you love with that self-sacrificing agape love that they don't understand, it gets their attention. When you build other people up instead of tearing them down in front of others, that gets their attention. When you are friendly to strangers, when you gather around people that you don't know, and you're kind to them, and you're considerate to them. Or when you leave from this place, and you go to KFC on Sunday afternoon, and you leave a tip for somebody that they're not expecting. People, kindness makes a difference. Love makes a difference. The world expects hatred, bitterness, greed, and violence. Christ offers hope, peace, joy, and love. When the darkness is confronted by such a light as that, it has an impact. And that impact can lead to the conversation. When they ask you what makes you different than these other people, what makes the disciples of Highland Baptist Church different from everybody else that comes into my restaurant, that comes into my parlor, that comes into my area, I don't care what it is that comes into my store, if they see the difference in your spiritual maturity level, and they ask you that question, what makes you different? There's a commandment of God in 2 Peter that says, memory serves at 2 Peter 3. I'm sorry if, if my memory is a bit skewed, but the commandment from the apostle tells us, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you and do this in all gentleness and respect. If they ask you what the difference is, tell them the difference is the love of Christ and I'd love to introduce you to it. That's how we grow. That's how they grow too. For the fruit of a Christian is more Christians. Put the light of God on display. It's the only way it can be done. Build relationships. Be kind to other people. Be loving before others. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off the falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one great body, which is the church. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Why? Because one of the greatest weapons in the enemy's arsenal is a Christian who doesn't act like a Christian. Let me say that one more time. The greatest weapon in the enemy's arsenal is a Christian who doesn't act like a Christian. When someone tries to put that badge on as a social club or as a source of pride, look at me, you can trust me, I go to Blah's church. I hold blah position in XYZ church. When they wear that like a badge 
And yet before others, they are still conceited. They are still greedy. They are still lying. They are still in it for themselves. How does that look? What kind of a reference does that give to the bride of Christ? Paul is warning against this vehemently because anger is a gateway to sin. Write this down. When I am hungry, when I am angry, when I'm hungry, when I am angry, when I'm afraid, when I am ashamed. Hungry, angry, afraid, ashamed. You getting this? When I'm also lonely or when I'm tired. Those are the times when my armor may be loose and when the enemy might be able to gain a foothold into my life. When I am tired, excuse me, when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm afraid, when I'm ashamed, when I'm lonely, when I'm tired. Those are the times in my life when I can very easily be tempted. Why? Because then my focus turns from God onto myself. What do I need to take care of this? What do I need to do for my sake? to save my pride, to grow my bank account, to make sure that I've got food on the table. When you're anxious and all of that takes over in your life, that's the easiest time to put the old clothes on, to put the old self on display, and to set Christ aside. And Paul actually says that this is giving the devil a what? A foothold. Room to invade your life. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. We talked about this downstairs, actually. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Not theft necessarily, but uh, using Christ as an, using uh, provision as promised by God as an excuse, not for the dignity of work. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. It's interesting that Paul ties generosity and work together. Not for the sake of hoarding stuff away in your own bank account, but giving yourself the freedom to be generous. Giving yourself the capability to help others. I remember my grandmother Feaster telling me about times in the Great Depression where she used to jokingly say we weren't poor, we just didn't have any money. Back in those days they had land, they farmed it, and what other people, what they couldn't supply for themselves, their neighbors would. And what they could supply for their neighbors that, that uh, didn't have what they had, they supplied. They worked together. They were in community together. But they worked hard, but not necessarily just for themselves. They worked hard to make sure that the whole neighborhood had what they needed. Work with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Dr. Stanley refers to this as your conduct, your conversation, and your character. The way that we put ourselves on display, the way we put the miracle of the regenerate Christian on display before others. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for what? Tearing people down? Sharing the truth in bitterness? 
Trying to get a rise out of somebody because you're putting them to shame? No. Building others up according to their needs that they may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who is Lord of the church. Who is the Lord of our lives? Do we give Him that authority? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed with until the day of redemption. He is our connection with our Heavenly Father. And if we grieve Him, guess what we grieve? Guess what we Guess what we threaten? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What kind of... Uh... Now let me make sure that you understand what Paul is commanding us to do here. Let me change that. What God is commanding us to do through the pen of Paul. How is Christ forgiven you? The Bible tells us that when God forgives somebody, they cast them from the memory of their sins in his own mind as far as the what? As far as the east is from the west. Let me ask you something. Is there a west pole? Is there an east pole? Now the reason that that's a miracle is simple. You can travel east and east and east and east and east and never ever finally turn, turn around and start traveling west. The other way, you can go from here to Texas and beyond and still travel in a westerly direction, but you can only go so far north before you end up going south. There's a defined position. And you can only go so far south before you end up coming back north. The distance between east and west is infinite. So when the Bible tells us that you're, the memory in God's mind, the memory of your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west, that's an eternal, and not just an eternal, but that is an endless gulf. That is a direction where it can never come back to you. That's eternity. Your sin is completely separated from you and now he's calling you to be a reflection of the way that God forgives he's calling you to be a reflection of that same type of grace be holy just as I am holy God tells us his righteousness before others his love before others his grace before others he commands us with a very challenging phrase. That's why I want you to understand what he's saying. I want you to be Christ-like. The way that he loved. His graciousness before others. And even into the way that he forgave others. Marking this down, that forgiveness is predicated upon repentance. Forgiveness is predicated upon repentance. He's not just Savior only. He is Savior and Lord. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance is a churchy word which simply means to turn away, to change direction. So what he's effectively telling us 
is that at one point in time before we came before the throne of grace, we were heading in the direction of sin and self, the path that leads to destruction. But in him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiving of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Meaning that if we repent, that means we have to turn the focus off of the self and turn it to Christ and Christ alone. We have to not only accept his free gift of salvation, but we have to turn away from sin and accept his will as sovereign, Savior and Lord. There is no other way. So how are we doing as disciples? How are we doing as maturing believers? What characteristics are we loving? Are we forgiving? Are we anxious or do we rely upon the peace of God and the joy that He gives us through the power of the Spirit? Are we always afraid? Are we always seeing the forest? In, excuse me, are we still always seeing the trees instead of the forest? The problems instead of He who is the solution? Are we fully reliant on God or are we trying to be reliant on ourselves? How are we at exhibiting Christ before others? Are we taking advantage of the personal time to set that personal appointment so that we may grow in our relationship with Christ by actually being in a relationship with Christ? In order to get through the Bible in a whole year, all you have to do is set aside 20 minutes a day. Can we at least commit one TV show's worth of time to exercising ourselves in prayer and in Scripture reading. To spend time in a holy appointment with the God who has given us the right to sit down with Him and call Him Abba, Father, my Dad. That kind of warmth, love, and intimacy. Are we taking advantage of it? Or does it just get shipped away? Are we being part of the church? Are we working in the church? Are we part of building and grounds? Are we part of missions? Are we part of evangelism? Are we part of the instructional capabilities of the church? Are we helping out with you? Are we stepping outside the doors here to make Him known, as our mission statement says? Is your spiritual growth a priority or isn't it? Is your spiritual health, your relationship with God, important to you? Or is that that thing that you'll only get around to once you retire? It doesn't work that way. If you are in Christ, He's your Lord right now. There are two ways to look at someone with authority over you. The first one is in fear, in anger, and in bitterness. But He doesn't want that. He wants a relationship built on love, trust, loyalty, and grace. He does want to be the most powerful, loving influence in your life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you invested yourself in loving God, sharing His Word, loving others, spreading the Gospel? And if you have done all those base volunteer things within our church, have you cycled around 
and tried to find a calling in the church as someone who does, who leads, and who mentors. We've got a lot of potential wonderful mentors of the faith in there. Have you invested yourself in someone else? Where do we stand? That's our challenge, I think, not only for this message, but for this year. Taking ownership in our ministry of the church, understanding what the church is, that you're not a social club. You are not a corporation. You are not just a gathering of people with a business intent. You are a family called by God, bought with a price, the blood of Christ Himself. Many last names, many different nationalities, many different beginnings, but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one family called by God to be His body, to be the body of His Son, Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You're a Baptist church, you can say that word. Through His blood, not only have you been redeemed, but you've been called to be a part of a great family. Be part of that family. Join with us and grow. Dive into God's Word. Invest yourself in a relationship with Him. And claim the promise that He offers us when He says that by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. His promise afterwards that says that even though the wages of sin is death, the way of Christ leads to what? Eternal life, to everlasting life. Claim those promises. Grow in spirit, in grace, in wisdom. Take up your cross. Be part of what makes a powerful difference. God has wonderfully equipped this church. Now, the church needs to stand and to do the work of redemption for which she has been called. And all God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we approach this time of invitation, Lord, the challenge that you've left before us is great. to continue to be conformed to the image of Your Son and to continue to do His work here on earth. Lord, I ask that You would trouble our hearts to this purpose, that You would break, Lord, our hearts for the very things that break Yours. But Lord, most especially, I ask that You would set us to the purpose of boldly proclaiming Your Gospel of truth that if there are any that have yet to come to know You as a personal Savior, as the Lord of their life, if there are any that have not yet accepted the gift of Your grace, Lord, let the, what a fantastic day to be the day of someone's salvation. Bring them forward 
as we sing, let them drop themselves. Come before Your throne. Come to the altar and meet You in a holy embrace. What a marvelous day it would be for someone to give their heart to You. If there are any that are struggling with wanting to find a place where they can feel at home, a family under Christ, that they can be loved on, that they can be a part of the ministry, that they can be um, healed of the rigors of this world. Lord, as we enter the time of invitation, I ask that You would allow them to make that decision to come forward and to receive the right hand of fellowship and to use us to be a place where they can find a family in You. For any that are struggling with either uh, the weight of this world or the things that just creep up upon us and, and threaten our relationship with You, whatever the case may be, if, who, if there are any that just need a special touch of the Master's hand in prayer, draw them forward so that we can pray over them, embrace them, and just remind them of the God who loves them, the God who sacrificed for them. Whatever the need is on any heart, we open this time of invitation now so that you may meet that need. Trouble the hearts of all those. Lift their burdens. And let them know that your love is here. That there is a God and He is more than willing to save. These blessings would come to you through the matchless name of Christ. In whose everlasting name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.